Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey, everyone, Buddy C. The February 14th Tao Te Ching meeting. Happy Valentine's Day to you ladies, to Marla and Kate. Hope you all have a great Valentine's Day today. Thank you. Craig, I wish you, I don't know, should I wish you happy Valentine's I can, you're in another, on another continent, so I can wish you happy Valentine's as a guy. Listen, I'm, I'm confident enough in my sexuality to say thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little shaky sometimes in mine, so. Uh... <laughs> did, did All right, leave, let's get on get the topic. Okay. Get the flowers that I sent you. No, I'm not yet. Thank you. They should come later today, I guess. No, I was, I was talking to Marla and Kate. <laughs> oh. I, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's still about me, regardless. <laughs> if you did get them, don't tell my wife because I never sent her any. Oh. My wife said, you know, this year, let's just not, we don't do flowers at Valentine's because uh, our anniversary is in January. So, and so we don't do another set of flowers that's close. And so she said, uh, I said, she said, let's just not do cards this year. And I said, are you sure? And I'd already bought her a card. And, and I got, I said, well, okay. Okay. So well, your response isn't real good with that. We'll do cards. I said, no, don't give me a card. If you give me a card, I said, you're not getting nothing in return. Cause that's the only way to shut her down because she thought she hurt my feelings by not, I just saved her card for next year. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't bought. I don't even have to buy one for next year. I've got it in the drawer, and I'll just get it out next year. So I've had the same birthday card for my wife in the drawer for the past three years. One of these things, okay, I'll get around to actually writing it out. <laughs> oh, you give her a card on her birthday? Um, I think I did once. My wife is very big on sentimental stuff. Mm. Big on flowers at anniversaries and flowers at big times and uh and she's big on i would not dare skip any of that she is one of those that's big on that stuff she's romantic she is she is well but emoji i'm a romance killer she calls me the romance killer <laughs> I, I sent louise some emoji flowers that's that's the, that's, that's the new modern way of doing Man, you're an emoji guy so i don't doubt that whatsoever you got emojis for everything so all right on to the Tao. Okay. 31st chapter. Let's take a moment and just get centered before we start. All right. All right. Okay. 31st chapter. Miss Kate, are you ready to read? I am. First translation. Good weapons are instruments of fear. All creatures hate them. Therefore, followers of Tao never use them. The wise man prefers the left. The man of war prefers the right. Weapons are instruments of fear. They are not a wise man's tools. He uses them only when he has no choice. Peace and quiet are dear to his heart, and victory no, qua- no cause for rejoicing. If you rejoice in victory, then you delight in killing. If you delight in killing, you cannot fulfill yourself. 
On happy occasions, precedence is given to the left. On sad occasions, to the right. In the army, the general stands on the left, the commander-in-chief on the right. This means that war is conducted like a funeral. When many people are being killed, they should be mourned in heartfelt sorrow. That is why a victory must be observed like a funeral. Mm. All right. The second translation. Weapons are the tools of violence. All decent men detest them. Weapons are the tools of fear. A decent man will avoid them except in the direst necessity and if compelled will use them only with the utmost restraint. Peace is his highest value. If the peace has been shattered, how can he be content? His enemies are not demons, but human beings like himself. He doesn't wish them personal harm, nor does he rejoice in victory. How could he rejoice in victory and delight in the slaughter of men? He enters a battle gravely, with sorrow and with great compassion, as if he were attending a funeral. Third translation. Weapons are the bearers of bad news. All people should detest them. The wise man values the left side, and in times of war, he values the right. Weapons are meant for destruction, and thus are avoided by the wise. Only as a last resort will a wise person use a deadly weapon. If peace is her true objective, how can she rejoice in the victory of war? Those who rejoice in victory delight in the slaughter of humanity. Those who resort to violence will never bring peace to the world. The left side is a place of honor on happy occasions. The right side is reserved for mourning at a funeral. When the lieutenants take the left side to prepare for war, the general should be on the right side because he knows the outcome will be death. The death of many should be greeted with great sorrow, and the victory celebration should honor those who have died. And the final translation? Weapons are terrible things. If you want to get right with Tao, reject weapons. The master, knowing all things came from Tao, recognizes what he has in common with his enemies and always tries to avoid conflict. But when there is no other choice, he uses force reluctantly. He does so with great restraint and never celebrates a victory. To do so would be to rejoice in killing. A person who would rejoice in killing has completely lost touch with Tao. When you win a war, you preside over a funeral. Pay your respects to the dead. Okay, that's pretty somber at face value. Any, you guys get anything out of that? What, uh, I've got, I've got two things out of it. I got the, um, there's, there's two, there's two ways that, there's two ways that look at this. I think last week I kind of pulled myself up for looking at some of these things, um, too literally. Yeah. rather than spiritually. But when I looked at this one today, I thought it's difficult not to look at this literally. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at things like um, war and peace, um, I practice Taekwondo, and any of our 
any of our patterns always start with left with left hand defence. We never start a, a pattern with an attack. If we're doing anything with a left hand, it's normally for defence and and um, attacking with the right. So I can see where he's talking about the the, the, the attacker standing on the, the right or the aggressor on the right and the defender on the left. Um, we practice that principle in um, Taekwondo, which is a Korean martial art. So it's from around the same from around about the same area. Um, what I noticed um, was some of the some of the way they were talking, um, I think it was a tr- third translation that says delight in the slaughter um, of humanity. Now, I picked up the fact that the, the author said um, delight with the slaughter of humanity, not, uh, didn't use the words uh, delight in the slaughter of humans. Um, so I think it's looking at the, 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 the base way of, they do, of how they do war. It's not the killing people, it's actually the, the, the killing a way of life, the killing um, that that value of peace, um, and they're bringing on a bringing on a, a different set of values into it. Um, I find this one quite literal because um, it wasn't until I read the Derek Lin translation that um, that reminded me that when this was when this was written, it was a Chinese text that was written twenty five hundred years ago, which at the time there was a lot of war in that sort of area with with, with various dynasties um, not trying to seize power. So. Um, I find this one quite a quite a literal verse rather than a spiritual verse. Um, that's that's what I took from from those ones. Um, if we look at the, um, I, th- I think going back to the, the, if you look at the way of um, of, of warfare these days, if we're if nine times out of ten our wars are done at the end of a computer and we're firing missiles left, right, and centre. Whereas in the old days it was people near hand to hand, actually physically up close fighting and, and killing each other. Um, so I think that could be to do with taking away the humanity as well, because it took away the personalness of of, um, of war. Yeah, you, you touched on that Eastern thought of war being coming from the right side. That's right, yeah. They talk about that in every translation. Yeah. And peace from the left and war from the right. That was new to me. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yes. It was the same. It was the same with things like gladiators as well. You, you notice that most gladiators would have their have their weapon in the right hand and the shield in the, the left hand. Um, I don't know if anybody ever noticed that, but that's that's really why they were they were taught that. Um, it goes to it goes to the old days in, in school. We had a we had a girl that was left handed in school, um, and she was always getting pulled up for writing wrong because she was writing with the wrong hand. Everybody was taught to to write with the right hand because the, the teachers or the people in, in authority they were writing with the right hand. So I think it was really passed on from that side of thing. I could be completely wrong, um, but you notice that um, the majority of gladiators and martial artists will always defend with the left rather than the, the right. And if you if you look at any of those, I noticed this actually watching Khan, Genghis uh, Khan. Yeah. He had his army generals that were his war generals on his right side, and his training uh, people on their on his left. If I remember correctly, I, I believe I noticed it in that. Yeah. And so everything from that part of the world that that's why they talk about right and left at the first part of this. I think. Any other comments? You know, I try to relate it spiritually and just change weapons into words, words as weapons, but um, it doesn't quite fit, you know. You have your emotions as well, which could be used as weapons, so things like anger and resentment, it's obviously like, like more of, a, more of an, ag- an aggressive 
an aggressive um, term of thinking or using words. Um, whereas if you have things like love and peace, that's more of a, a pacifist way of, way of going through things. Um, I saw, I was looking at this, how can I stop using weapons of war in relationships? How can I stop using weapons of war in business? Uh, these are some questions I ask myself. And do you? No, not as much. All right. But I, I just, you know, I think that's the, for me, if you look at a spiritual um, application of this, that would be the questions to ask. Do I delight in winning? Do I like to see others grovel? <laughs> that's the kind of questions this brings out. You know? Yeah, I like the line in the third translation. If peace is her true objective, how can she rejoice in the victory of war? Mm-hmm. Now that goes to me, that speaks to like intentions. You know, if our, what are our intentions with things? You know, if peace is my true objective, am I rejoicing in other people's, you know, downfalls? Right. Right. How about this in the third, Kate? The wise man values the left side, the side of peace, the side of defense. From the first translation, about halfway through, if you delight in killing, you cannot fulfill yourself. In relationships, in business, if I delight, in having victory and ruining someone in business or in relationships even. I can't be fulfilled if I do that. Even in disagreements that I have with someone, if I delight in being right, I think that would be even a lesser form of this, you know, but still this. I I can't, I have to value everyone. And I got to thinking about the fact that we're all part of one, right? So when I harm another person, I am harming me. I think that's the idea behind if you do a spiritual application to Uh this, that Uh we cannot take pleasure in anyone. Um, being um, decimated in any way. We can't take pleasure in that. How about this one from the second one? It says peace is his highest value, and that's talking about wholeness, according to the Stephen Mitchell commentary. It's about wholeness, where he talks about Uh, Weapons are tools of violence. The decent men detest them. Weapons are the tools of fear. A decent man will avoid them except in direct necessity, and if compelled, will use them only with the utmost restraint. In other words, if I'm in a disagreement with someone, I don't disagree more than I have to. I don't. I've had times I've taken real pleasure in proving someone wrong which I'm not proud of, but used to that was a very 
a thing I really enjoyed. I liked when someone disagreed with me when I knew I was right and I could prove it. Have you guys ever experienced that where you took pleasure in proving that you were right? Tried. Yeah. But it, it never proved that satisfactory. Exactly. That's right. (laughs) Never proved to be all that satisfactory. You never got the reward you were looking for. Never. Never. And, And I think that's the spiritual application of this. I think that's why at the end, when they talk about, the victory celebration should honor those who have died or that it's like attending a funeral is the same thought is that it's still there. We try to seek a better way than the way of conflict in whatever it is that we're talking about. If it's even with our spouse or with the person who we have a, a car accident with or whatever it is, can we resolve this without a fight? And actually, for me, I go back to page 84 in the big book. We quit fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol. So if I quit fighting, how, you know, the next question is, of course, how do we do that? Um, his enemies are not demons, but human beings like himself. So we've got to remember when we're in a conflict that, the person we're in the conflict with is like me. They're not different from me. We're part of the same body. That was um, something that came up in the in the Let Go book as well. Um, it, was, it was talking with the guy that um, he he forgave his. Um, he was he was in a, a German concentration camp, and he forgave the, the the guards at the camp because he realised he well, he accepted the fact that they were there doing a job. It wasn't the fact that. They wanted to do it. So there's a fact that, that you know that that's that's what they've done. They weren't at the, they weren't at the head of this. It wasn't their decision to have people there. They were just employed to to do that. Um, I, th- I think probably employees. I'm not making light of it. I think employees a bit of a light word for using it, but um, just just putting it in relation for forgiving the, the or just not blaming the other person for for being there. Um, it goes back to the, the, the saying as well: be humble in victory and gracious in defeat as well, rather than gloating on. Being right. Were you reading Man's Search for Meaning? Is that where you got that from? Where he forgave the concentration camp guards? Be- it was uh, it was in the Hawkins book, Letting Go. But it was him. Oh. It was the same guy. What what's the guy that wrote that book? Victor Frankel. Wrote yes, it, it was Victor. him. He was quoting him. Yeah, thank yeah. you. It's hard to forgive those guys. But anyways, um, all right. It would be. Let's move on. <laughs> Stop fighting everything. Do I delight in others' failures? Is there anyone that I know that it makes me feel good when they don't succeed? That I get a little bit of pleasure. Oh, Craig's raising. <laughs> Craig's grinning. <laughs> Perhaps in Taekwondo, yes. But. No, Tell it's, us, Craig. It's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> Okay, now he backs off. Oh, I'm getting better. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what. No, no I'm, I'm still being. I'm still being. Right. So I just, I just had a phone call from somebody thanking me, um, for something that I raised to his attention, and he says, "Do you know what? Nobody's, nobody's ever raised that to my attention." I'm like, "I raised that to your attention a year and a half ago." So I'm kind of gloating, but I'm trying not to. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be humble. It's not working. 
You know what I found when I do that is they don't really give a shit. It's like, hey, I told you that a year and a half ago, and they're like, yeah, so? <laughs> it's funny you should say that, because when, when I pointed that out to me, I hung up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm over it now. That's, that's it. I've had, my, I've had my five minutes. Good. Okay. I've had situations in business where I'd have a competitor – and I get a little bit of happiness when they did not succeed at something or they failed with a client or that's, you know, I learned a long time ago in recovery and applying recovery to my business that I had to pray for my competitor success. Even if they were doing things I thought were not, um, uh, not honest, mm-hmm. I still, had to pray for their success because the problem was not how they were behaving. The problem was how I was, how much angst it was bringing me. So I started praying for them to succeed. And that worked? Yes, it worked. And what about just changing the, your thought process? You know, um, I lost my thought changing your thought process so that you don't gloat in their failure. That, that was just the practice. process of learning to do that too, Marla. Me gloating in their failure told me that I had more work to do on that. Mm-hmm. That I was still holding some anger and resentment there that was not noticeable until the situation arose. Got it. And the way I worked on that was praying more for them and surrendering to uh, surrendering to them, really, you know, in the whole process of, you know, what we learned to do in recovery to to get rid of that, which is mostly sending good thoughts, praying for them, uh, sincerely wanting their business to succeed, uh, God to give them what they needed, uh, give them what I want, you know, all those things that we learned. That's part of this conflict, and I think that can apply to this, you know, that these weapons, that the way of uh, violence, the way of using force is not the best way. Like we talked about last week, that every time that there's force, we exert force. Every time there's force back at us, there's a counterforce. every time. So the more we use force, We only use what is necessary, and even with that, there's resistance. I I think that's really a lot of what this is talking about, but avoiding war in life was the notes I have on this. How can I avoid conflict? If you don't talk, just say conflict. How can I avoid conflict in life, in relationships, in job, in business, in any interaction? And what I've noticed a lot of times, my first response a lot of times is a negative response. Mm -hmm. I don't automatically respond with love. (laughs) Yes, I have an example of that kind of. Cool. So there's a guy that has the same job description as me. Mm -hmm. And we both work together. We work together sometimes. And he is really, really, really good at his job. And he does... um, really great at at running these groups 
and he is always getting super positive feedback from from all that they're always like we love this guy he is the best counselor blah 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 like he gets all this positive feedback and i'm always you know i'm glad he's a really great guy he's really nice so part of me is like, oh, that's great. But part of me is like, well, I want this positive feedback. Why are why is he getting all this positive feedback, you know? Part of me is like a little bit resentful against him that he's like so great and I'm not as great. Oh, God. You know? So like part of the, the petty little part of myself is like, well, I wish they wouldn't say so many great things about him. <laughs> Just shut up. You know? <laughs> That's, <so normal. laughs> That's funny, Kate. So what action are you taking to get rid of that pettiness? I don't know. I I was only just really thought about it. <laughs> when we were talking about this, it only just really occurred to me that I'm feeling that way. It's, you know, it's tough because it's like they're saying how great he is, which means you're not that great. Right. But, you know, they're really not saying that. They're I know, but that. it feels like they're saying that. <laughs> I know. Thank you, Marla. <laughs> <laughs> but Thank you, you can't take that personally. No, you can't. And he really is very good. Good like, for him. <laughs> he is great. You're blushing. You're playing, uh, me, uh, you're playing me here as well, just when you talk about him. Hey, Kate, um... Can you leave positive feedback for him, too? Uh, is there a way that you can do that? Yes, I suppose. <laughs> that might be a way to help get over that, you know? And maybe pray for him to have more positive feedback, for him to feel great about his job. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that might be a way to get rid of that in you, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, I'll try it. Try it. Let us know next week if it works. Okay. I bet you will. That happens a lot with um, yoga teachers. We're not not supposed to be competitive with each other, but there's always one teacher that everybody just gloms onto. You know, I want to be that good, and, and why isn't anybody coming to my class? And it's hard to be um you know, it's hard to look at that, that great teacher and go, oh, she's so wonderful. You know, I want to be that wonderful. It's really hard to do that. But it's just, you can't take it personally. And you got to be yourself. That's all. You just got to do your best. Is it quite competitive being a yoga instructor? Unfortunately, it <laughs> is. Yeah. It's ironic. I mean, it's kind of a paradoxical that it I is. I think I'd love to see you lot fighting. No, we don't fight. We fight with words. I mean, we fight with words. If you know, yoga, mat, yoga mats at dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I can do a headstand longer than you. <laughs> That's the fight. <laughs> That's like the a really fight. soft pillow fight, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Hey, Kate. Yeah. This guy's been doing this job a lot longer than you. Yeah. Well, of course he's going to be better than you. Yeah. Right. What, if it were me, I would try, first of all, I would try, I would just tell myself, you know, it's okay for me to think that he is better than I am at this job. 
and just feel that for a minute, not try to resist feeling it. That's what we've been learning in the letting go book. Uh, we ne- I never learned to allow myself to feel a feeling. I always resisted feeling the feeling and that force that we talked about, it would push back. It's like a thought in meditation. Just allow yourself to feel that for a minute and you'll be amazed at how quick that'll just flitter away. Then to keep it from coming back, maybe you can take some of these recovery tools we learn, like thinking good thoughts for him, uh, praying for him. If you can do an actual good feedback of him, even if you could say, you know, to him, you know, you do such a great job. I hopefully one day I can, you know, I'm, I hope to learn a lot from you. You know, ever what you could say that is really appropriate that would come uh-huh. from a larger self rather than a smaller self. Yeah. Great advice. Try some of that and see if it doesn't give you a lift. Yeah. And, and carry you out of that. Mm-hmm. But that's what this is talking about, really, is those conflicts that we have, even those small conflicts, not to fight those, not to fight those conflicts, um, and not to, not to use those uh, weapons of war when those things arise. I was thinking also about the fact that, you know, that we're a mirror. So... When we're angry and resentful at people, that's what we're getting back. When we fight, we're getting that fight back. And part of the reason it harms us is because we're fighting ourselves. If we're all connected, we're really doing damage to ourselves when we do damage to someone else. That's why we don't get pleasure out of it. Now, if we're not very spiritually connected, we can't see that. We just might not understand why that doesn't bring us the pleasure we thought it would, but it's because we're fighting ourselves ultimately. Anything else before we go to the commentaries? Nope. When someone has cancer and they take chemo and they, I put a note down here is chemo similar to this. Like when, when, when I fight a cancer, let's say, and I go through all the cancer treatment, part of that treatment, and Kate, I'm, I'm sure you could do better explaining this, but my understanding is that I'm doing damage to my body to kill another thing in my body when I do chemotherapy to my body. Is that correct? Yes. So is not when we use these weapons in relationships, a lot of the same thing, you know, in that we're using a weapon of war in the relationship or in the interaction, and it's really killing us, too, to a degree. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It is. It's poison. It is. It's poison. Mm -hmm. It's like taking poison, hoping the other person dies. The resentment quote, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I thought about chemo with that, too, was, was how that would be an application of, it's like us taking chemo. You know, we, it's a, you know, it's killing us, too, at the same time. Okay, what commentaries? Uh, let's skip to Stephen Mitchell. Uh, do you have, does someone have the uh, Derek Lynn? Do you have that, Craig? Yeah, but Lynn, yeah. yeah. Do you have any parts of that that stuck out to you? Um, just really the part where he was talking about the, um, when, when, the, when, when this doubt was written. Okay. Um, it, it just really highlight, highlight the fact as to why 
all of a sudden Lewis is talking about a military or more of like a physical form rather than the spirituality of the doubt. Um, and I think it, I, I, that's, that's where we've got the idea of um, putting people against people, um, putting other people's, not, not so much other people's wills against each other. Cause I'm, I'm sure when, when some of these people go to the battles, they, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't their idea to do it. They were kind of forced into doing it. Um, so I think that's again, how you take some of the humanity out of, um, out of war. And um, also as well, a lot of these, um, a, lot, a lot of the people that were in these wars were kids as well. Um, a lot of these, a lot of kids were trained, like, like samurai kids were trained from four or five years on to, to fight in wars. Um, so again, it, it just really does take a, a lot of humanity out of it. And it goes against a lot of what, what allows you um, teaching the Tao and a lot of acceptance and, yeah. I, I can I can see there there is a there is a time for defence. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather work on a defensive measure than, than an offensive measure. We see the victory parade in the aftermath of war as a funeral march. No matter which side happens to be the victor, right? No good outcome. No good outcome. If if there's a better way, let's find a better way. Well, Gandhi spoke of that nonviolence. You know, a way I started approaching any conflict is one of my first questions in the conflict, whatever it is, how can I take the fight out of this? What can I do to take the fight out as a real question? I, I got a really good example of this. We uh, at our clubhouse, our AA clubhouse, uh, I used to do heat and air work. So I was helping with the heat and air. We're trying to get our bills under control. So I put a programmable thermostat up, like a nest, so that we can program it and, and do good. Someone stole it because they didn't like the thermostat being programmed. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, it's a bunch of drunks, okay? And, you you know, you get people in there anyway. And and the guys that ran the thing said, let's put a box over it so that, you know, they can't get to us. I said, no, let's not add to the fight. How can we take the fight out? So I've made a board and put the thermostat up into the ductwork and put one on the wall that they could do anything they wanted to with, and it didn't work except during the meeting. So it took the fight out. There you go. So I was looking for a way to stop the fight. So I started looking in every relationship, every interaction. If I'm mindful at the moment, okay, wait, this fight is starting. What can I do to stop the fight? There's got to be another way. Is this really worth this fight? Those are the things I started asking myself because just like in war, if there's another solution to my conflict I'm having with another person, let me find that solution. Sometimes that solution is me taking the road of kindness regardless of if they take the road or not. We can only do what we can do. It's um, War seems to be inevitable. Uh, people just seem to fight all the time. And it takes us, maybe this, all of this mindfulness and this, this self-study to really create that peace. It, it's like the rest of the world isn't really with us on, on it. You know, we can't. You know, it takes two people to fight, Marley. If we're talking about like a personal, like if I'm fighting with someone, it does. But they're not gonna, they're not gonna self-examine and say, "Hey, you know, how can I take the fight out of this?" It's up to us people, and 
we're lucky in that way that we have those tools. Most people do not, I, I notice. In the 79th, this is on my wall, my wall of Dow. Someone must risk returning injury with kindness or hostility will never turn to goodwill. That's from the 79th, Dow Te Ching. So the wise always give without expecting gratitude. So I've got to risk sometimes injury, returning injury with kindness. I remember with my wife sometimes, if if we were fighting about something or she were she started something, if so if she was ill, like I get less, but I have done in the past, and it was her turn to be ill, and she was starting to fight me about something. I said, honey, I'm not going to fight you about that. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not responding to anything you want to say, but I am not fighting about that. And it would stop because if I don't respond, <laughs> yeah. it continue. Now, it may, you know, the other person may say some things that, you know, in trying to get me to respond, you know, but if I continue not to respond, the fight stops. So keeping that in mind, is I think part of this too. Yeah. Part of this too. Okay, we want to look at the Wayne Dyer real quick before we go. Want me to read it? Yeah. Read, read what parts you so desire. Well, we've talked about the weapons. Um, the second paragraph, Living Without Weapons, it's on 151. From his position as an observer and a being of divine wisdom, Lao Tzu recognized that there's no victory in any activity where killing takes place. We just discussed that. Why? Because all people, regardless of their geographic location or belief system, are connected to each other by their originating spirit. We all come from, retain, and return to the Tao. When we destroy each other, we are destroying our opportunity to allow the Tao to inform us to flow freely in and through the form we're in. What appears to our ego to be a victory to celebrate is really a funeral or a time to mourn. Lao Tzu reminds us that taking pleasure in winning a battle is aligned with an ego will to kill. The Tao has only a creative, nurturing, and loving will. On this physical plane, our highest nature expresses itself through the precepts of the Tao while our lowest nature expresses itself by engaging in the business of killing. So here's an exercise. Begin to use, begin to see the use of physical or verbal weapons as unwanted responses. Change your need to defend yourself to a stance of realizing that this is evidence you're ignoring. This is evidence you're ignoring the teachings of your source of being. Refuse to consider using weapons of violence in any form by noticing your language and abolishing hatred from your vocabulary. Replace defending your right to to possess and use arms with an attitude that all deaths from such instruments are signals of detachment from the wisdom of the Tao. When enough of us reach a critical mass in our thinking so that it disallows the existence of weapons, We'll be moving the direction of our world. No longer will we be able to evaluate the planet's level of civilization by the sophistication of our weapons. 
<laughs> Instead, the measurement will be on the Tao scale of how well we're able to feed and love each other. Then, being civil will authenticate the root word found in civilization. <laughs> That's practical wisdom. That's practical. But, you know, and it starts with our relationships. It starts with me. Mm-hmm. Again, that's why it's love your neighbor as yourself, not love Africa as yourself. <laughs> it's about your neighbor. It's about the people around you. It is, but you're right. It starts with how we relate to ourselves as well and how, how civil am I to myself. You know, how how many things can I say to myself that are loving rather than, you know, full of um, self-hatred and self-loathing? You, you know, that's something I hadn't thought about, Marla, was the application of this to me fighting against me. That's where it begins, though. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Because if, I, if I'm not in connection with the love that's within me and not fighting me, and if I don't have that connection, how can I share that same love? If I'm not loving me, how can I love someone else? Correct. Huh. That all comes yeah. down to ego then, doesn't it? That all comes down to basically trying to contain your ego or taking your ego out of situations and, and doing. And it goes back to getting rid of guilt and shame too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is so, really huge for us. You know, being uh, in rehab for two weeks, that was the, the theme a lot of our, our didactics and tech talks were about guilt and shame and, and how, how to avoid that, really. Mm. You know, um, but it's a really, we all feel that because we, we just can't understand why we're addicts, you know, and, and relapsing is a big thing of guilt and shame. And the way we treat our loved ones and our families and real big source of guilt and shame. Well, we're this mirror, so if we feel bad about us, how can we feel good about anyone else? Right. Right. It's not possible. It's not possible. We can pretend for a while, but eventually it's going to come out. I, I was reading, actually, this is from the Letting Go book, uh, Hawkins, uh, Letting Go Pathway Surrender. There was a good chapter on guilt where he was talking about any time that I say I should have done something different or I should do that better or any of those type I'm not enough questions Mm -hmm. and I have guilt and shame within me that I need to get rid of that I am perfect in the moment I'm just like I'm supposed to be I started bringing things to attention that I'd never thought of because I've always thought you know I should do that better or you know I should be further along than that or you know all those you know, beat me up about things that don't really matter, but that guilt is still there in little ways, even ways that I wouldn't say I had guilt, but I really did, and I didn't know how to see it. So I've been working on that. Been- and sometimes, you know, i got to say, it, that kind of worked for me in a way, the guilt and shame, because it got me into rehab. It, You know, that worked. So I was sick of feeling like that right but so, you're taking action for it marla you're taking action to get rid of it yes because i was sick of it i'm sick of being sick so um sometimes it, it works 
it worked for me, you know, and, and that it got me to um, do something actively against it and to come out of it, the guilt and shame. So it's very common for alcoholics to feel it, guilt and shame. Yes, I, I've, I've experienced that myself and seen it in a lot of sponsees. Yeah. I see women talk about that a lot more than men. Men suppress that a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Men still have it. They just suppress it instead of getting rid of it. They don't acknowledge it. Yeah, that's, that's, I think the problem with men is, that, again, it comes to pride. Men, men, just, men just as men don't talk about emotions. Um, I've, I, I never talk about my emotions unless I'm with my sponsor. I find it very difficult to talk to my wife about things because um, I want to be the alpha male. And I see myself as the one that's supposed to be here, have all the answers and be the rock in the sport of everybody. I don't want to be seen as helpless. Um, it just, um, and it is difficult for men to talk about this. I, mean, I, I talk to my sponsor about things that, you know, I, I'm very I'm very comfortable talking to him about it because I know that I know that anything that I say to him is not, not going to go any further. Um, but, yeah, the, the guilt and shame, the guilt and shame, it, it racks, it racks everybody. And I think... Mm-hmm. Just well, me personally, I was, going, I was going to say I, th- I think we should be able to deal with it better. I, I think I think if I had been able to deal with it better, if I, I think if if I'd have listened to people and actually paid attention to what was going around myself rather than being so absorbed in myself, then I probably would have seen I probably would have seen things and be able to handle things a lot better um, than I actually did. Well, hindsight is you know twenty twenty, and yeah. uh, you get to it when you get to it. You know, it's yeah. about maturing. And um, really working to get well, yeah. I think. And we're we're very we're a lucky group of people. We um, have to work on ourselves in order to get better. Whereas the rest of humanity doesn't really give a shit about growth. Hey, Craig, did you see what you just did? Did I see what I just you did? We're talking about guilt, and you showed guilt while talking about guilt. Talking about how you should have done better. <laughs> And now I feel guilty about wasting two minutes worth everybody. <laughs> but but that, shows, that shows how it's so prevalent and we don't see it. Yeah. It's just a way of life that as we become more spiritually awake, we can start addressing. So I've started when I say, oh, I should do, have done that better or I should have been further along with it, whatever it is. Wait a minute. No, I'm exactly like I'm supposed to be. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm perfect in this moment. If I could be different, I would be different. It is what it is. Thank you. And then I go into gratitude about how great things are and how, you know, how my life is good when I look at the good things. That's a big thing. I'm sorry, Marla. That's a gratitude uh, is really um, number one. It has to be number one. (sighs) Good discussion. Yeah, me too. Gratitude. You know, the great thing about gratitude is that you don't have to have any belief to have gratitude. You can just look at what's already happened Mm -hmm. and list the things that's happened. That's what I do. And I, I can look at that and be confident that things are going to continue being well for me and working out like they need to because they have in the past. 
So why should I think any different now? And if I don't understand something and some situation is, it seems like it doesn't fit. I don't, I, I don't try to tag it. I just say, okay, I just don't understand that yet. And eventually every situation I, I end up understanding what's behind things as time goes on because I can always look back and see it if I'm patient and if I wait. Mm-hmm. But taking the fight out, so huge. It's so huge. So um, yeah. I guess that's the challenge, you know, and I really like what you read, Marla. Begin to see the use of physical and verbal weapons as unwanted responses out of dire. That's so good. We need practical applications, you know. We need to be told how to do things because our way just wasn't working before. And it still won't work. You know, and the goal, like I said, is to quit fighting everything, even alcohol. So how do we do that? And this is part of the way we do it. This yeah. Is part of it. So good, good. Anything else before we close? No. Good Good discussion today. The, um, there's, there's a bit in uh, Romans 12 that talks about the um, about helping your enemy. Um, a scriptures tell us that you, if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch, or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. The best of evil by doing good. It, it didn't say, well, you you can't pop him in the mouth, so do this instead. <laughs> no, that's, that's the next page. This is second best. I was, I was you know, getting to that. You can't do that, so just do something good for him instead. <laughs> he said, no, get the best of evil by doing good. So the best thing you can do for something evil is to do good. Yes. That's the very best you can do. And it starts with us. And it's not a lame excuse. It's not a lame thing to do instead. You know, it is the very best thing we can do. Okay. That's good. Good note to close on. Guys, have a great week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.